Well, let me tell you what I was going to do today. I had kind of a cool idea for chapel like three weeks ago. Um, what I was going to do, since we're doing identity, I thought it would be really cool. I've never done one of those DNA ancestry test things. So three weeks ago, I had this awesome idea. I would order one of those, I would do it, and I would save the results, and I'd like read the results for you. I'd be opening it right now, and I would find out that I'm actually from Africa or something really unexpected before you, and then I would say, but my identity is actually in Jesus Christ. And then I would drop the mic and go sit down, and that was going to be chapel. But those kits take like five to six weeks to come back, and so I wasn't able to do it. But I still want you to associate with me with the idea because I think that was really cool. So that was what we were going to de- do today. But instead, I'm just going to talk about the Bible, which is something I love doing. Is that okay? All right. First, I'd like to ask Coach Carver, see you up there, could you just quote to us Acts 13, verse 9, please? Oh, man, he doesn't just know this random verse from the book of Acts, just sitting there ready to quote it today. This, okay, all right. Um, <laughs> you would have had to been in chapel the other day to get that one if you missed that. Um, I want to talk about something that I hear a lot of people say and I want to correct this. Actually, I'd like my New Testament class to correct this. Did Saul, New Testament class, I see some of you in here. Did Jaden, you're loud. You can yell this out. Did Saul change his name to Paul? Somebody tell me what happened. Drew? Yeah, so everybody just needs to stop saying this. Saul does not change his name to Paul. Saul is his Hebrew name. Paul is his Greek name. Saulus is a Hebrew name, and so as long when he's around Jews, they call him Saul. If he ever went home and visited mommy, she would call him Saul because that was his name. But that is not a Greek name, and so as he's out in cities that speak Greek, he goes by Paul or Paulus. So let's stop doing this like Saul changed his name. He was bad when he was Saul. He was good when he was Paul. That's not true. He was always Saul and Paul all at the same time, okay? So let's stop that. Can we agree to do that? Okay. Let's talk about him for a second because it is true that Saul, as we meet him in the book of Acts, did some things that he profoundly regretted later in his life. The first time we meet this guy, he's standing by like nodding in approval. He's okay with the fact that this Jew who has come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah is being stoned to death. That's a pretty terrible way to die, right? Being stoned to death. And he's like, yeah, that's fine. Let's do that. He's nodding in approval as this happens. And then Saul goes on himself to personally, here's the way Acts describes it. He is ravaging the church. This, by the way, is a word that's used outside the New Testament to describe acts that people do in war. Violence. He's using violence to hurt other Jews who've come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Saul, who also goes by Paul, wrote some letters that we have in the New Testament, and he would describe his life, and he would actually describe to us why he did these things. In Philippians 3, 6 and Galatians 1, 13 and 14, he actually uses the same word to describe why he was doing this. It's the word zeal. He was a zealot. The way that he was wired was to do everything 
to the fullest. He was a fanatic. If he did something, if he put his mind to do something, he did it with all of his might. And this meant that he was even willing to hurt other people if he thought that he was doing right. No doubt, as his life changed radically, he had memories of people crying and screaming because of his actions. He had memories of ripping families apart because these families contained people who believed in Jesus and who didn't. He had memories of people being thrown into prison. He had memories of standing by and smiling in approval as people were murdered and stoned. And later, Paul, in several passages, would express a lot of regret about this. In 1 Corinthians 15, 8 and 9, he would say, I'm actually the least of the apostles. Like, I'm not even fit to be called an apostle because of all the terrible things that I did back when I was persecuting the church. In Ephesians 3, 8, he refers to himself as the least of all Christians. And in 1 Timothy 1, 13 and 15, he would say, I formerly was a blasphemer, a persecutor, a man of violence. Jesus Christ came to save sinners, and I am the foremost sinner. I want to use his example to just hopefully say something that can stick with you about identity uh, as we kind of head toward the end of this semester. God has wired every single one of us in unique and particular ways. The personalities that we have have been formed by God, and they've also been formed by our families of origins and our experiences since we were all little kids. These are the things that make us who we are. And here's the truth about all of our personalities. In all of our personalities, we have tremendous strengths. God's made us who we are for a particular purpose. But here's another truth about all of our personalities. All of our personalities have shadow sides that are unique to our personalities that make us do things that we will feel a great deal of shame about and that we will feel a great deal of regret about. We all, because of our unique wirings, have the great potential to harm not only ourselves but other people. For Saul, who also goes by Paul and didn't change his name, He was zealous. I guarantee you, he was the little rabbinic boy who was the first to raise his answers for all of Gamaliel's question. He was always the one winning Torah trivia nights at the synagogue every weekend. Whatever he found to do, he did it with all his might. All of us are wired differently and we have strengths. Some of you in this room are wired to be challengers to be aggressive in the pursuit of your goals. Some of you in this room are wired very differently. You're peacemakers, and you want everyone and everything around you to be happy and healthy. Some of you are wired to be creative and artistic and to feel every ounce of human emotion and the highest joys of life and the lowest lows of pain. Some of you are wired to be loyal and to be awesome friends. I can actually relate a lot to Paul because God wired me to be an achiever, to be a hard worker, and to give everything that I do 100% and to be the best at it that I can possibly be. 
So when I was growing up, I actually would get sick and throw up if I thought I might not make an A on a test. I mean, I had to have A's in everything. You can ask my parents. You can ask my wife. Like, it gave me anxiety, test anxiety, school anxiety. I had to take medication because I was so anxious because I had to make an A at everything. In high school, I played tennis, and I had to be the best tennis player that there could possibly be. Um, which has translated into me being the best pickleball player that I can possibly be. This is where this comes from. If I do something, I have to be the absolute best at it. But with the way that God has wired us, there's always a shadow side. So for me, there is a shadow side to achieving and working hard. This is me being vulnerable with you. But the reason that I work so hard is because I crave the validation of others and many times place my own self-worth in the validation of others. I can become so focused on winning and achieving that I forget about actual people and I can be willing to hurt people who get in my way of my goals. I can be prone to workaholism. And if I'm not careful about that, I can work so much at my job here at the university that I could neglect playing time with my kids and do incredible damage to them. Some of you may have grown up in families with parents who work too much, and you know what that damage is like. Looking back as I helped lead a church, I did some unhealthy things in leadership. I was so driven by numbers, 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 more, 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 bigger, 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 that sometimes I don't think I loved and served people the way that Jesus wanted me to. If I'm not careful, the shadow side of my personality can destroy me, can destroy the churches that I serve, can destroy my family, and can destroy others around me. I'm going to pull Justin in one more time. Big butts. Here's a pretty big but, but God. As we look at Paul's story, Paul had profound regret about the things that his zeal had made him do in his life. But God had plans to use his wiring and his personality for his purposes. This is a great passage for you to like underline or memorize. It's 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 17. And I'm going to read it, so don't cut me out here. This is a powerful passage. Right after Paul's talking about his life, he says, I'm grateful to Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he has considered me faithful and appointed me to his service. Even though I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, a man of violence, I've received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And it was the grace of our Lord who overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But it is for that very reason that I received mercy so that in me as the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might display the utmost patience as an example to those who would come to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen.
God ended up turning what Paul regretted about his life, his zeal and the things that it made him do. God ended up using that for his purposes. And behind Jesus Christ, who is the most famous person in Christian history? It's the Apostle Paul. He went around and became one of the most zealous proclaimers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God used him in powerful ways. So from this, let me just leave you with a couple of things. One, this is good advice I wish someone would have given me in your seat. You need to be paying attention to how God has wired you. You need to become self-aware. You need to learn your strengths and weaknesses. And to do this, you might need to seek out a professional counselor. I've spent a lot of time in my life in counseling. It's been tremendously helpful. You need to have trusted friends and mentors around you to help you understand more about yourself. For me personally, the Enneagram was really helpful in understanding myself. You need to pay attention to how God has wired you. Secondly, when you mess up, Or when you do things that cause you great remorse and regret, remember that like Paul, like myself, like so many others in this room, that is profoundly the moment that God's grace and mercy is overflowing in your life. And you can use those moments for your good and for God's glory. I think this actually helps us put a new perspective on our dark moments. If, I'm not going to say when, But if you ever find yourself in John Jewell's office for something, a bunch of you just looked up. I saw it. In that office, there is a but God happening. In that moment, you look for God's grace and mercy because it's at those dark moments that we actually find the opportunity to turn those shadow sides of our personality into strengths to serve for his glory. Whatever's driving you to do that negative thing, that's due to your wiring. And if you flip the switch, you can take that negative thing and use it for God's glory. And the last tip here is look for how God is planning to use you, who is uniquely wired to be you, for his service. I want to give you just one example. I want to talk about uh, a guy that I love. His name is Seth. And I only... Got to know him for about a year before we moved here. We hired him at our church to come be our youth minister. And when he came, he was just kind of a mess. He um, he was just up and down all the time emotionally. He was experiencing like a lot of depression and just having lots of ups and downs when, when he came. And so I was meeting with him a lot. I was praying with him a lot. And I was helping him. And what we came to discover through lots of our conversations is this is how he's wired. He has a personality that's wired like when he gets happy about something, he experiences that to the fullest. But when something sad happens in his life, like he experiences that to the fullest. He goes through these moments of like deep depression and darkness. And if you ask him if he wants to experience this, absolutely not. Is it fun to experience depression? Absolutely not. But what I love so much about Seth is here what he has come to understand. And he's close to your age. He's in his early 20s, here's what he's already come to learn about himself. That as he's experienced those moments of depression, it's allowed him to minister to teenagers in a way that I never could. Because he experiences that darkness. Whenever a teen at church comes and experiences darkness, 
He says, this is my superpower. I've got this because God has wired me to serve in this moment. One of the darkest moments of my ministry, I had several of them, but in the last year that I was there, one of our teenagers actually tried to commit suicide. And it was really rough. And our youth minister, Seth, said, this is what God's called me to do. This is why he's wired me. He's wired me to serve in this moment. As you get to know yourself, as you get to know your strengths and your weaknesses, God can actually use them both. And this is such an important time in your life to figure out who you are, because as you understand who you are, then you'll understand how God has wired you so that he can send you out for his purpose. Thank you.